Hey y'all, it's Danielle. Coop and I are so excited to share our second episode of Ain't No Free Lunch with you. The fact that you returned lets us know that we did something right the first time around and hopefully over time we can prove just how committed we are to the ideals of Ain't No Free Lunch. A very special thank you to everyone who subscribed, posted, reposted, tweeted, retweeted, and even Snapchatted to spread the word about our podcast. We greatly appreciate all of the support and love that's been sent our way and have implemented as much of the feedback offered as possible. Hint, hint, check the new mic quality. On today's episode, we're going to be covering how somehow to a large group of people, the life of a gorilla mattered more than a black life and We say this as incredible animal lovers. And a very special edition of The Plight of the Black Republican. Here's to looking at you, Clarence Thomas. We hope you all are just as enthusiastic about this episode as the last. And we challenge everyone listening to tell a friend about us. All right, let's eat. Yo, yo, what's up? How are you? I'm doing well. I'm pretty excited after we released our most recent podcast. Pretty excited. We released our teaser and our first episode in in one week, and it got a pretty great reception, I think. Yeah, thank you all for listening and uh, really giving us a chance, and hopefully you'll continue to listen and grow with us. Yeah, we just want to thank everybody from the support of our friends who've been posting, reposting, sharing, uh, showing love. A hundred listens of an hour-long show might not seem like much, but it definitely means means the world to us. Also, just to backtrack, since we're heading into June, we did want to give ourselves a couple of birthday shout-outs. Go, 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 shout it's your birthday. We're going to party like it's your birthday. So, happy birthday, Coop. Uh, thank you, thank you. I, you know, I'm really feeling old. I know there's another gray hair, so it's <laughs> uh, a delicate subject. But happy birthday. What did you do? I actually had the best birthday party. So, for, well, thank you. It was my birthday. I was really excited about it. I did a 90s tech kind of party where everyone had to dress up in 90s, but it wasn't like a house party or anything like that. We mostly just... We went to my favorite chain restaurant, Fridays. Shout out to Kylie Ponder for knowing that I like chain restaurants. And then we went to go play Laser Quest in our 90s outfits. Because why not? I was a joint birthday party with one of my really good friends from college. Hey, Amber. Yeah, so Amber, I haven't met you, but we know that God makes great people on May 24th. So I'm going to shout you out as well. And even greater people are made on May 18th. But we won't really go go into that so we definitely wanted to give ourselves some birthday shout outs so happy birthday to us may babies even though you're a gemini <clears throat> i'm a taurus in case anybody was wondering are you trying to imply something i'm just nothing oh, nothing okay. at all <laughs> also i want to give a shout out to my students who actually have downloaded our podcast a couple of times I, as you guys know i'm a civics and economics teacher and My kids had a pass rate of 93%. I only had six students fail the SOL of 86. The SOL, for those of you who don't know, is our state standards of learning test. And even though six is too many, I was super, super proud of them. They worked really, really hard. It was just a lot. It was a lot of information, and they just balled out. So shout out to Miss Green's classes again. And shout out to Miss Green. So how many, uh, what was your percentage last year? I I wasn't in a testing subject last year, so I didn't have the opportunity to test because they only test eighth grade. So it's a new subject for me. Same school as last year. It was just exciting. 93%. I teach in the south side of Richmond. Teaching for a change. Teaching for a change. That's the life I live. Yeah. And I want to shout out Russ. So Russ made us like a preliminary logo and he's finishing it. And, I, you know, Russ is coming with it. I, I'm hype about the show all over again just because of the logo. Yeah, so we have a pretty basic logo right now, but it's going to kind of be re-upped by Russ in a like a week or two weeks or so. And it's about to be lit. I'm super excited. I think I texted. So Coop sent me the, the image in my... <laughs> he sent it to me in, on my phone, and I was 
my students are doing like a project. So I had access to my phone and I opened it. And I think my text message back was, OMG goodness, I almost peed my pants. <laughs> like it's, yeah. You guys are really in it for a treat when you, when you see our new logo. So thank you, and, and so in the future, for a small fee, <laughs> small you, fee. <laughs> you can pay me and Russ to create things for you. And I'm kind of like Russ's agent right like now. Like a middleman? Agent. Well, agent. let's talk. We'll have to talk to Russ about that first. <laughs> Russ has not approved this yet, guys. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. He has. He has. When? Uh, about two weeks Falsehoods. ago. Falsehoods. Lies. About two weeks ago. Before <laughs> before he even made the Ain't No Free Lunch logo. Oh. Well, either way, our logo is about to be lit. I'm really excited. If you subscribe on iTunes, because yes, we are on iTunes as well as SoundCloud now, you can definitely check it out. And it'll also be on our Twitter page. We are on Twitter. Follow us at what is it? Ain't I was gonna say hashtag Ooh. at at excuse me. <laughs> ain't no free lunch. Website coming soon. Baby steps, guys. Baby steps. Yes, and if if you really really rock with us, I won't mind if you put our logo as your profile picture. <laughs> <laughs> the most <laughs> especially because it's gonna have our faces on it so danielle texted me over the weekend and said hey coop i'm thinking about getting my first tattoo i and did I, and i said danielle if you're really all in with this podcast you'll get our logo which my mother oh my goodness i told my mom and my dad and they okay i'm an adult guys i don't live at home i pay my own bills my parents freaked when I said that I wanted a tattoo. I haven't decided where I'm going to get it, what I'm going to get, but I... The logo. I love a no free lunch with all my heart, but there's no way I'm getting our logo tattooed on my body. This is branding. I mean... This is... We can brand without a tattoo on me. I knew a guy in college that had a Nintendo controller on his arm, so I don't understand why something that... In the future, you will receive royalties from after we build this empire. <laughs> and, and I mean, where is your vision? I love Ain't No Free Lunch. But I will not be getting my first and probably only tattoo of our logo. Okay, I'm so sorry. it's just not gonna happen. If any anybody out there who feels free to like do that free branding thing for us, I am all in for you tattooing it on your body. Not mine. And I'll pay for it. <laughs> no, you won't. Why do you keep saying things like that? So, all right. If you're not going to get Ain't No Free Lunch, something that happened over the weekend, Harambe. Uh, oh, so, it, it's so sad. So, His so, name so, is from Kwanzaa. I feel like I need to go light some. Uh, like. So why don't you get Harambe tatted on you? I'm not getting so Harambe. The gorilla? <laughs> No. I mean, I saw it's Gorilla Lives Matter on Twitter this weekend. It's not real, guys. It's not Justice real. Justice for Harambe. So, in case you've been living under a rock, there is this new Gorilla Lives Matter <laughs> movement. movement that has been... Gaining traction. Right, gaining traction. So, there was... It's an incident in a zoo. Where, where was it? Cincinnati. Okay, so it's in Cincinnati, Ohio. And basically, you have a four-year-old child who falls into, jumps into... I'm not really clear. He ends up in the gorilla's enclosure. Okay, yeah. Long story short, he ends up in this, like, 1,700-pound gorilla enclosure. Was it? I think he was 400 pounds, but, like, 17 years old. Oh, wow. I boosted the mess out of how much he (laughs) But nevertheless, it was was a really, really big gorilla. (laughs) Yeah, so it was a really, really big gorilla. (laughs) Who, basically, there's a videotape of it, but in order to protect the child... Like, the zoo officials decide it's best to kill the gorilla. So, there's been this huge movement. Coop, you can kind of explain it a little bit better, I think. So, some say that the child and his mother were arguing. The child told his mother, I'm going to jump in. Wow. Um, At four? Yes. He's doing all that sass. So, the child ends up in the enclosure. The gorilla initially looks like he's protecting the child, and then he started dragging the child a little bit. A little bit. It's like a four hundred pound gorilla. You trying? Yeah. To get, I'm not trying to get dragged. 
Well, I, I'm trying to be as objective here, oh. respectful of everyone's opinion. You, you know? can be objective because they said, "Oh, the gorilla showed no aggression at all." Who said? Who? That's oh, what some of these our, experts are saying. Our gorilla lives matter, folk. Yes, and initially, the the officials from the zoo were considering tranquilizing the gorilla, but they said that he would act so erratic. Right, because tranquilization isn't like immediate, right? Right. So. And that he probably would have hurt the child. Right. And so they decided to to kill the to kill the gorilla in an effort to protect the child. And so I, I have a whole lot to say about this, <laughs> primarily because the same people that are hashtagging Gorilla Lives Matter are the same people on are, are the same people that are, are tweeting things like. Justice for Harambe are the exact same people that refuse to ever tweet it for Laquan McDonald. Oh, of course or, they don't care. Or Sean Bell or Eric Garner or Mike Brown or Trayvon Martin. But all of a sudden, like, they care so much about humanity and... This is the same thing that happened with that lion. I mean, I'm not saying that I want, like, gorillas to die or whatever. But at the end of the day, if you are more moved by an animal's death than by a human being's death, we have to reevaluate some things on a very deep level. Not only that, can we also talk about what you just... Okay, so Coop dropped this bomb on me because I refuse to watch the video. Stuff like that like kind of makes my stomach hurt. I don't want to watch a child being dragged or interacting with a gorilla, nor do I want to see a gorilla die in any way. Like Kind of like I don't like to watch those death scenes of police brutality or any sort of police brutality. I can hear about it, I can read about it, but watching it just does something to my spirit. So I didn't watch it. I had no idea that the kid was black. So, one, I think that kind of plays into Gorilla Lives Matter because obviously a gorilla's life is more valuable than the life of a four-year-old black person. I, I'm, I'm guessing that's kind of the logic that some of these people are using. Not to mention, they dropped the bomb on us that, uh, like, what did they, what, what is Fox News doing now? Well, it's not just Fox News, but Fox News, of course, was one of the first. I just like to throw shade to Fox News, uh, the Fox television show. I can't really call it a newscast. But they are uh, essentially victim blaming the parents for being bad parents. And Which so, I did, too. And, and so they are releasing, uh, they release like the father. He has a criminal history. He has like six children. And now they're saying, oh, the father wasn't present. So basically they're saying that if the father was present, that <laughs> the child wouldn't have jumped in. And no, the mother is like an administrator at at a daycare facility. But she's not watching her own child. So here's, here's the difference between me and faux news. Excuse me. <clears throat> Fox News. It's, and it's my, one, my, one of my first complaints was like, hey, where were you when your child was like hanging around a gorilla pit? You, you you hanging out with them? You, you watching him? Like, snatch him up. Like, you don't let your child do that. But at the same time, like, what does his father's criminal history have to do with anything? Well, and I, I think they're preparing to charge him with neglect now. Him? Or her? Both parents, I think. Um, but What? It, he wasn't it, even there. Was he know, there? I missed it. I, I didn't watch the video. I haven't seen any evidence of him being there. However... Maybe I'm an empathizer because this has kind of happened to me. Oh, my God. Because Coop was a bad child. Not bad. He made bad decisions. But, but, you know, these things happen so quickly. You know, maybe someone stepped on the mother's shoe and she said, oh, and they said, oh, excuse me, bless your heart. Or maybe she was getting a snack for the child. Or maybe she was Snapchatting it. You know, <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean we don't know. This happened so quickly. If, if anything, I blame the zoo for having an enclosure that anything could fall in yeah that is pretty problematic the fact that they had you, the, I a mean, child someone could have threw through. poison and killed poor harambe that way but when i was a child at about the tender age of four i had a cousin that was graduating from basic training in south carolina from the marine corps and so my mother had just had knee surgery my dad was in the hotel room. Mm -hmm. And so we're in the whirlpool. We had our feet in. <laughs> the it was whirlpool. Myself, 
my nephew and my mother who just had knee surgery. And I told my mother, hey, I can, I can, I can swim. Oh and she gosh. said, oh, don't try it in here. And so, you know, I was four. I I was beating the odds at, at the tender age of four. I'm over you already. <laughs> so I jumped in and started moving my hands. And so the current pushed me to the bottom Naturally, of the whirlpool. It's a whirlpool. And my mom... She wasn't in any shape to really get down and get me. Fortunately, there was a Marine that came by and, you know, snatched me up. And I learned my lesson. But you can't say my mom was a bad parent. I mean, that was a decision that I made. And she forewarned me not to do so. So, I mean, you can call me sympathetic. But I think this, I think it's unfair to blame this family. I mean... I, I can only hope that it wasn't an actual incidence of negligence. But at the same time, I'm not going to completely X out the possibility that... I mean, I haven't seen the video, so let me let me fall back. Maybe she was watching her child. But I understand people's concerns. What I don't understand is how people can blame... Like, this is, goes back to that devastating thing that's called the Negro Family, the case... For national a action, this like prophetic report that came out like 40 or some years ago, basically that says, we don't have fathers in the home. This is the reason why all black people do what they want. I mean, I, I know they're playing off of that trope. So I think it's just, I just hate when they, po they, they post or they report out things that have absolutely nothing to do with what's going on. His father's criminal history has nothing to do with the death of Harambe. Like, I'm sorry. It doesn't work like that. Case closed. And you know, unfortunately, Harambe had to be killed. And from my understanding, Harambe was quite the sight. You know, he was vital to the zoo. He, you know, he had just been at the zoo in Cincinnati, I think, about a year. Because he was born in Texas, had stayed in Texas for 16 years. However, if it comes down to a decision between... Harambe, I'm not a, I'm not a mother. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm, I'm not, not a either. I'm not <laughs> Obviously, a I'm not a mother. Oh, let me correct that. I'm not a father. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're not a mother. <laughs> but if it comes down to a decision between someone that I love or or any person and an animal, I'm always going to try to save that person. Because at the end of the day, you know, the same people that are tweeting "Gorilla Lives Matter." A lot of those people, you know, I follow you on Twitter. I, mm. I, you know, you're my Facebook friend. These are the same people that always say all lives matter. Yeah. And so now you're oh, saying, yeah. So now mm. you're saying that oh, you. the gorilla lives matter a little bit more than than uh, a than, whole lot more than Black Lives Matter. Let's not take than the child, but and the child was black. So y'all know me. I, I'm I'm all for looking to see what the what the trolls are saying. So I, I just want to read to y'all a couple of troubling things I saw today. There was a video of the the father, Dion Dickerson, yeah. out on a boat. Looks like possibly fishing with his children. It was posted on YouTube. Someone found the video, and the trolls are just going in. They said. Oh, they should have shot this chimp being the father Ugh. instead of the gorilla. Then someone else said, oh, he should drink bleach. And then someone said, I understand George Zimmerman was called to the scene. However, he missed the shot what? at the gorilla. What? What? There, I do not want to wish death on anybody. But if I were to wish death on somebody, it would probably be George Zimmerman. But we won't get into that. What we can get into is the show. So, last week, the Supreme Court handed down the decision in the case of Foster versus Chapman. Tyrone Foster was, uh, he is a black man that was convicted in Georgia in 1986 for assaulting and murdering a 79 year old white woman. Over the past 30 years, 
He's appealed the case numerous times, primarily using the argument that the prosecution preemptively excluded all potential black jurors just because they are black. Which is a violation of Supreme Court's 1986 decision in Batson versus Kentucky. So history nerdgasm on just in case you don't know what the Supreme Court's 1986 Batson versus Kentucky decision is. Uh, so basically, you have a, at the trial of James Kirkland Batson, he was he was on trial for burglary uh, and stolen goods. Basically, his prosecutor used his preemptory challenges or the ability to remove jurors from a pool. Strikes. Right. Uh, To remove all four African-Americans from the jury pool. Um, So Batson basically challenged the removal of those jurors because he said it violated his Sixth Amendment right. And and underneath of your Sixth Amendment rights, you have the right to an impartial jury. And then also the Equal Protection Clause of the Fourteenth Amendment. So that's just like my nerdgasm, history nerd. So uh, in the case of Tyrone Foster, the prosecution identified and marked the prospective black jurors with a capital B. Now, what do y'all think that B stands for? Brownies? (laughs) Butterflies? And the capital B was only beside the black jurors, not any other jurors. Get it together. I guess you can say it was a coincidence. Coincidence, maybe. Or maybe they just did. I I don't know. Maybe they were just trifling. And they didn't They couldn't even, like, they couldn't even make it small. Why can't we use the letter A of African descent? And and excluded all of these people that had a capital B beside their name from the jury. So basically, based on this information, you have Foster claiming, um, based on the 1986 decision, Supreme Court's decision, he's saying like, hey, basically the same thing that happened to James Kirkland Batson is the same thing that happened to me. It's you're violating my right to an impartial jury and you're not allowing me to have equal protection under the law as given by the 14th Amendment. You're stacking the jury against me. And for my students, hey, y'all, this is what I'm talking about when we watch Runaway Jury with John Cusack. If y'all have never seen it, you should go watch it. Runaway Jury was written by John Grisham. John Grisham, there you go. I use it in my classroom. Hey, John. So, Mr. Grisham, excuse me. (laughs) Seven Supreme Court justices ruled in Foster's favor. Right. And as you all may know, we only have eight Supreme Court justices right now because the Senate won't do their job and confirm. Won't do their job. They don't. They won't hashtag do anything. Do, hashtag do your job. Basically. But <laughs> seven Supreme Court justices ruled that Foster was telling, hey, they agreed with Foster that what happened to him in that Georgia courtroom was unconstitutional. Yeah. Basically, they excluded jurors based on their race. Like, you can't do that. It's illegal. With one dissenter. And we all know who that is. Being Justice Clarence Thomas. (laughs) Who who happens to be the only African-American on the bench. I mean, but he's race neutral. So I don't even think, does he, would he like to be identified as the only African-American justice on the bench? Hashtag all lives matter. Hashtag all lives matter. Hashtag make America great again, Clarence Thomas. Why don't you? He just, he is one of those people that when Clarence Thomas's name is mentioned, my brain leaks out of my ears. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like he makes his decisions, what he embodies, his purpose in life makes me angry. And so the and, and then also that he he claims to be race neutral. And then you've got that whole idea that yes, he's the only African American to have served on well, not the only, excuse me, let me back up. The only African American currently serving on the Supreme Court. And so a lot of people are wondering was race used to his advantage to get confirmed to the Supreme Court? So, let's go a little bit into the history. All right, let's go backwards, backwards, backwards. I'm getting ahead of myself, y'all. So, Clarence Thomas was born in Georgia. So if Savannah, Georgia. So, if anyone knows about these Georgia courts. Georgia peaches. And, and the way they do things down there, <laughs> it should be Clarence Thomas. Why is that so funny to me? <laughs> um, 
So Thomas was the former chair of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. He attended pregnant. college of the Holy Cross where he was noted for having exceptionally good grades. He did say that he got into, well, he did get into Yale Law School, which I find it to be really interesting because he he not only got into Yale Law School, I mean, the guy, he is he's smart. He got into Harvard Law and he got into the University of Pennsylvania School of Law. So you can't take that away from him. But given that affirmative action didn't technically exist when he got into Yale Law School, he's constantly said that he's not the product or he's no way benefited from any sort of affirmative action just because, you know, it wasn't technically on the books, I believe, while he was in law school, which I need to just cue. This is another nerd alert. Uh, a book that I'm reading right now, please go read it. It's called Unfinished Agenda by Junius Williams. And he's a native of Richmond, but he spent most of his life in New York. Basically, he said that he was like, hey, he got into Yale Law School after going to Amherst College. And he was like, I didn't, affirmative action didn't exist, but he takes the opposite role of Clarence Thomas. He's basically like, I'd be almost ignorant or... Almost ignorant? Well, (laughs) I'm just saying, he's saying I, I would be being unrealistic if I didn't understand that my race played a part in me being admitted into Yale Law School. He didn't have as good of grades as... Uh, you know, Clarence Thomas said, which I'm still looking for his grades online. But I mean, anyone can say they had great grades. Right. So either way, he's taking the opposite. He's just saying, you know, I know that race played a factor and I'm embracing that and understanding that when you get ahead, your job is to reach back and pull people up with you. So, and then just also... No, Clarence Thomas said he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. Yeah, he's Booker T. Washington. You didn't know? You didn't know? Although, guys, I, I will stand for Booker T. Not, like, in a positive way, but I will come at you with facts on him. A lot of people like to hate on him without actually knowing stuff. But anyway, so just backtrack real quick. Affirmative action, in case you don't know, I actually prefer what they call it in England. It's called positive discrimination in England, in the UK, mm. uh, which I like positive thrown in the front. It's basically the policy of favoring members of a disadvantaged group who currently suffer or historically have suffered from discrimination within a culture. So you don't have to necessarily... African-Americans did not do that in this country. We didn't what? We didn't uh, suffer historically. You can... There's the door. <laughs> like, you can go. Bye. I, I mean, the, according to, to, to Trump, to Clarence Thomas, you know, they want to make America great again. They do. I think it's funny, though, that he works so hard against affirmative action, but... You can't have a Clarence Thomas discussion without affirmative action coming up. Like, bro, you're not race neutral. Get over it. Yeah, you know, something that... Let me see the nicest way I can say this. Clarence Thomas is on the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court came up with... Well, the country, the president, the Senate, kind of came up with this unwritten quota. (laughs) What, What... Clarence Thomas, that's part of uh, affirmative actions, having a quota system. <laughs> Just but, in case you didn't know. <laughs> but that, that we have to have we have to have one black person on the Supreme Court. Well, you know, after we had Justice Thurgood Marshall, who we all should know and love. Yeah. Uh, and, I miss you. I you, mean, I wasn't alive. Was I alive when he was alive? Um, I know Oliver Hill died during my lifetime, but I think he Yeah, Oliver died. Hill just died like the past 10 years. Right, but, Oliver Hill Sr. Shout out to Richmond. Yeah, so Thurgood Marshall died, I think it was like 90 or 91, because confirmation was... So, yeah, so then that... yeah, yeah You he, were a toddler, yeah. No, I was born in 90. Yeah. So I was like a baby. You were probably still inside your mom or something. Yeah, something like that. Anyway, so after... So, so Thurgood yeah, Marshall... So let, Let's just go back a little bit. Okay. Let's talk about how great Thurgood Marshall is. So we can talk about the stark contrast between the two. So Thurgood Marshall was a pioneer. Oh, absolutely. A trailblazer. Snaps. So so Thurgood Marshall was one of the... um, He was an attorney for the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Just say NAACP. Getting all formal on the people. And... (laughs) Which really... And he kind of led the charge for something that's near and dear to my heart. Was... 
ending school desegregation, which, you know, my alma mater was oh one of the five gosh. schools in the Brown v. Board of Education case. Always so, shouting out your alma mater. Hey, something must be done by Prince Edward County. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are. We had Thurgood Marshall, who was super progressive, all about making change, no matter how radical it may be. Right. And so then... He was so amazing. President George H.W. Bush. The old Bush. H.W. W.H. Decided it was H.W. Oh, dang. (laughs) Is that H.W.W.H.? Show some respect to the office, please, man. I did show respect. Hello, President Bush. (laughs) So, President H.W. Bush is Herbert Walker. Oh, I don't know that man's full name. He, uh... So much for being a civics economic. I am. What do I need to know his full name for? You should know these things. Nah. So, (laughs) he nominated Judge Clarence Thomas to be Thurgood Marshall's successor. Which is so... It's so insulting. Like... Let's let's find the Negro to replace the Negro, but let's find the one that's going to replace him that completely stands against everything he ever stood for. Like, for what, sir? You know, there are a lot of different things. It was totally, to a, it was such a political move. It was, it was a for quota. cameras. It was a quota. It well, wasn't even I mean, a quota. It, it didn't help him because Bill came and wiped him. Bush doesn't 92. even want, he just wants to, to play the I'm not a racist card. Well, hold Look, on. I have black friends. I have one black friend. Clarence Thomas probably has one black friend. Hold, hold on now, hold on now. Okay, I'm sorry. I'll back. I'll, I'll, I'll so, <laughs> let's not forget that Clarence Thomas was kind of like a Bush operative. He's irritated. Because he couldn't get a job right out of law school. Right. And so that's when he said, oh, these quota systems don't don't work because I couldn't get a job myself. Maybe nobody wanted to hire you. And so Prescott Bush, H.W.'s father, mm-hmm. gave him a job. Okay. Right. Because wasn't Clarence Thomas, was he not liberal when he left college? Yeah, he was. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wasn't clear mm-hmm. on that. And so, you know, you know how it is. Well, I don't know how it is, but it seems that if you're a black Republican, you can kind of rise to the top very, very quickly. very easy to rise to the top as a black Republican. There's only about, like, five of us. I can count them all. Of us? You know what I meant. You know what I meant. (laughs) I can count them on my fingers and my toes. So I'm Sean Williams, Ben Carson. Uh, um, Herman Cain. Nine, nine, nine. <laughs> What's his name? Alan Keys. I have no problem with people being black conservatives. Oh, me neither. You have your own decisions, but I'm just saying it's a lot easier to rise through the political ranks when you're the only one or the small minority. Anyway, the point is Clarence Thomas was a federal judge for less than two years, for a little bit over a year. Like, what, 16, 17 16 months? 16 months he had been serving for a federal judge. I mean, serving as a federal judge when he was nominated to be on the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court. Which is a lifetime appointment, by the way. You 16 months? Yeah. That's ridiculous. So imagine if... President Obama nominate that that's like President Obama nominating Tykeen Cooper to the Supreme Court right now. They <laughs> they laugh at him. My I don't know, my whole opinion on Joe Biden totally changed when I watched that HBO confirmation. Oh, you watched that? I did. Oh. It was so good. So if you guys have not watched the confirmation uh, what is it, documentary or docu-movie, what have you, I guess, movie. It came, it came on HBO, I think, released earlier this month or in April. It features Kerry Washington and Wendell Pierce, who they play, uh, and we'll get into this, but I just, they play Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas. They, Joe Biden just was so weak on that. And Joe Biden, Joe Biden has never apologized for his role because he was the chair of the Senate. He should have shut Clarence Thomas down and he didn't. And remember, he didn't even allow some of the other women to we get into that and say, but he didn't allow some of them to testify. Right, right, right. And something else I found very, very interesting one of Obama's mentors, Charles Ogletree, mm-hmm. professor. You remember he was, like he was coming for Biden during the hearing. He should have. He put and, and so why would Obama choose Biden? 
I don't know. I I I just remember. Being I'm a tweet. I'm a tweet you, president. <laughs> I I just remember being in 2008, being so confused with that pick. But at the same time, I didn't even know all of what I learned. If you haven't watched the HBO television show Confirmation, go watch it. It's I thought it was really good, and I learned so much about what happened and about how Clarence Thomas actually came upon being confirmed. Confirmed. Yeah. yeah. So, so, all right, let's just backtrack for a second. We'll make sure everyone's we love on the same backtrack. page. Sorry, so, guys. <laughs> it was ludicrous to many people that saw the first black Supreme Court justice who was a supporter and fighter for the Warren era liberalism. So Chief Justice Earl Warren made sure that Brown vs. Board of Education was a unanimous decision. Um, he oversaw the investigation of, of the assassination of President Kennedy. So Marshall was, was replaced by an originalist who basically opposed everything. Like He was the com- complete opposite of Thurgood Marshall. No, and that was intentional. They were replacing a brownie with a brownie, just one that agreed with them. I mean, like, you know, that agreed with more conservative principles, which, I mean, that's what you do when you appoint someone to the Supreme Court. Like, you don't... They weren't going to appoint a black person that was as strongly as liberal as Thurgood Marshall. I mean, he was a conservative president, so I, I understand why he did it, but in terms of Clarence Thomas, did he deserve the job after 16 months as a federal judge? No. Well, no. who else could they have wanted? Uh, somebody, I mean, I would have been fine with a conservative judge. I mean, do I want a conservative job, judge on the Supreme Court? No, but I would have been fine for somebody who had done the time, who had, you know, substantiated record behind him as to why he should get a lifetime appointment on the highest court in the entire United States. All right, so let's uh, get into this. So Anita Hill who was a former employee, testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee detailing, and I mean she went into detail, the harassment from Clarence Thomas, including pornography and... His his discussions of pornography in her presence. Yeah, and like BDSM pornography. Right, it's like, like intense. And like him referencing the size of his penis numerous times. Yeah, and then you've got the, what was it, the, the something on the Coke can, the pubes on the Coke can. My working relationship became even more strained when Judge Thomas began to use work situations to discuss sex. On these occasions, he would call me into his office for reports on education issues and projects or he might suggest that because of the time pressures of his schedule, we go to lunch to a government cafeteria. After a brief discussion of work, he would turn the conversation to a discussion of sexual matters. His conversations were very vivid. He spoke about acts that he had seen in pornographic films involving such matters as women having sex with animals and films showing group sex or rape scenes. He talked about pornographic materials depicting individuals with large penises or large breasts involved in various sex acts. On several occasions, Thomas told me graphically of his own sexual prowess. Because I was extremely uncomfortable talking about sex with him at all, and particularly in such a graphic way, I told him that I did not want to talk about these subjects. So for for a lot of listeners, like some of this is not going to be new information. But for me, I was just being born when this was happening. So I had an idea of what was going on, but it wasn't until I kind of got older and delved into it. And especially not until I watched the HBO confirmation movie that I really sat down and did the research on what was going on. And this wasn't just like a witch hunt for Clarence Thomas. From According to him, it was. Because like multiple other women were prepared to testify. Right. But they were limited because Senator Joe Biden, one thing, he limited testimony to women that only had professional relationships, relationships with Thomas. 
And, uh, you know, we're 25 years after this hearing now. And we still have pretty much the same situation because women are still coming out saying Anita Hill wasn't lying. Right. And and the thing about it is there was a lot of, like, it just, like, burns my soul to know that the way or to watch her be treated the way that she was on national television as she's being interviewed or really just like hounded about what happened and asking her questions. I mean, I think at one point they said that she had some type of like, uh, like sexual disease of like the mind where she just felt like Clarence Thomas was was saying all these things to her. Victim blaming. Yeah. And then they did the, you know, well, if you, if he were treating you like this, why did you continue to interact with him? Like, do, do people not understand sexual assault, sexual harassment, how it, like how different people have different responses to it, but it doesn't make it any less valid. But but Clarence Thomas came in there. Ugh. Oh and my gosh. um <laughs> He shut it down with his ridiculousness. Yeah, I mean he said, Hey, this is high tech lynching for you uppity Negroes. This is a circus. It's a national disgrace. It is a high tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves. And it is a message that unless you kowtow to an old order, you will be lynched, destroyed, caricatured by a committee of the U.S. U.S. Senate rather than hung from a tree. How dare he? (laughs) The person who claims to be race neutral and pretty much all times decides, oh, when it's expedient for me, then, oh, you guys care about my race. There's no point in my life where people have really cared about my race until right now. Like, go somewhere. I don't have time for your foolishness, your tomfoolery. There there are some things that I want to say, but I can't say because this is a... This is gonna be released. <laughs> so are you? Are you just kind of like showing respect for his uh, for his role on the bench, no. or are you just trying to be nice? I'm trying to be nice. There, there are a lot of things that I say. I think that are being said that have been said about Clarence Thomas and to Clarence Thomas that I think are completely unfair. Like you will never hear me call Clarence Thomas or question Clarence Thomas's blackness because regardless of the fact that he has different political philosophies than I do that doesn't take away or make him any less black but at the same time in terms of him being a like a sexual harasser oh I have tons of filthy words that I would like to say to him I mean it's unsubst- I mean they, they say it's unsubstantiated but at the same time I have zero tolerance for that and he was still able to get on the bench. It's crazy. So, uh, you know. Crazy. Like, what? <laughs> 16 months as a federal judge and you have sexual harassment claims against you? But he went in there and was like, oh, if you don't appoint me, you're he, lynching me. Yeah, like, get out of here. He Do played, you know the ramifications of lynching? He played the race card when it was convenient for him. Oh, he but did. you know what, though? Before we go further... I kind of sort of a little bit used to try to cape for Clarence Thomas. For what? Honestly, I always try to take the, um, I always try to disagree with people just to make them think a little bit outside of the box. I know. So I used to say, like, maybe he's not that bad. He's misunderstood. I read My Grandfather's Son. The 2007 book that he published in case anybody has a whole lot of free time. I can name a lot of books that I would rather you read. Then, you know, it's just like, after I read that book, I think Clarence Thomas really wants me to, like, he, he really wants to make me work. Because really? Really? Wants to make you work what? I'm by so defending f- him because, like, it became harder and harder. <laughs> when you actually read his own words? <laughs> yeah, like, remember his decision with Fair Housing Act? Like, right. in the past, what was it, like, three years? about implicit discrimination and right, right, desperate right. impact. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm going to quote this for you. Clarence Thomas said, racial imbalances do all, do not always disfavor minorities. In our own country, for roughly a quarter century now, over 70% of National Basketball Association players have been black. 
to presume that these and all other measurable disparities are products of racial discrimination is to ignore the complexities of human existence. Clarence, quote. Clarence Thomas, uh, you can get out. <laughs> like, there's the door. <laughs> are you joking? He's comparing Fair Housing Act. Like, how... I think this is like redlining and how it has like impacted entire generations of people to the National Basketball Association. How many of us directly are impacted from the NBA? I mean, I'm sure you watched the game last night, but I'm just saying like he he just says the most wonky, froggy mess that doesn't even make any sense to anybody. Hey, I mean, how can you say people are racist when 70% of those millionaires are black? You know, that's what Clarence Thomas is basically saying. Clarence Thomas, like I said, there's the door you can get out. Oh, but <laughs> do you remember with the whole marriage equality thing, his comment about dignity? Yeah, basically, he said, our dignity is not the government's problem. Guys, listen, no, listen no, go, to go, this. Go ahead and read the quote. Okay, the quote. so... It says, the corollary of that principle is that human dignity cannot be taken away by the government. Slaves did not lose their dignity. <laughs> slaves, guys, he said. Slaves did not lose their dignity any more than they lost their humanity because the government allowed them to be enslaved. What? Okay. Those held in internment camps did not lose their dignity because the government confined them. And those denied governmental benefits certainly do not lose their dignity because the government de government denies them those benefits. The government cannot bestow dignity and it cannot take it away. Mm. Sir, again, there's the door. That was Get deep out. at the end. No, what is he <laughs> talking about? What is, like, you? they didn't lose their humanity? No, they didn't lose their humanity, but the government tried. It definitely had a part in attempting to take away their dignity. I just wonder who he says these things to. This is why yeah. I'm like, Clarence Thomas has to have, like, one black friend. I mean, most people in the Supreme Court really don't have friends, I don't think. Like, I, I think they kind of have to separate themselves to a certain degree. But, I mean, essentially, he's saying, yeah, you were beaten, you were raped, you are treated as three-fifths of a human being. Less than three-fifths of a human being. You were treated like cattle. Clarence Thomas, did you watch the premiere of Roots? That's what I want to know. Did you watch the History Channel premiere of Roots? Because we, we have to have some conversation. If I had to compare Clarence Thomas to someone... Oh, Lord. Fictional or non-fictional. Can you please say Uncle Ruckus? <laughs> you took the words out of my <laughs> I mean, really, man. Like it... I was hoping you were going to say it. Uncle Ruckus from the Boondocks. You know, yeah, he's just Uncle Ruckus. He He's it, more dignified than Uncle Ruckus, though. We have to give him that. No, I, I won't say he's more dignified. He's not. Uncle Ruckus, he, he, he says some crazy mess. At least we know what we're dealing with with Uncle Ruckus. We know what we're dealing with with Clarence Thomas. He said in that case that we had, like, talked about earlier that he was the only dissenter. He said that race was not an issue when they had marked B next to the black jurors before they sh like they struck them from being able to serve. Like we know what we're dealing with with Clarence Thomas, do we not? No, <laughs> I, no. I'm lost. Then. Because sometimes I feel like he just—I'd rather for Clarence Thomas to just be quiet. That's something, that's another problem he I have. He is with him quiet. No, he ended his 10-year silence. But, so you want him to go back to the years <laughs> yeah, of not saying anything because, on the court? I mean, Clarence Thomas, he's embarrassing. Oh, yeah. Like, every time he opens his mouth, and then his wife, yeah. like, she's, Mrs. Thomas, please do not call me. <laughs> Leave a message like you did for Anita. <laughs> yeah, like, how dare you call Anita Hill? Like, why did you lie on my husband? Goodbye, like, shoddy. Like, nah. So, for me, if I had to compare Clarence Thomas to any person, 
one that you guys know I'm, I'm an avid reader that's pretty much what I spend my free time doing I mean the what little free time I have but I love this neo-slave narrative called The Known World by Edward P. Jones and there's a character in there that really as I was reading it I thought of Clarence Thomas it's set in Virginia about 20 years before the break of the Civil War if you've never read it again it's called The Known World by Edward P. Jones you have this slave, Henry Townsend, who's been taken on by, I guess, his master and just treated really, really well, made to believe that he's better, quote unquote, or raceless than almost raceless than the other slaves. And he grows up and establishes enough wealth to be come a black owner. He's a black owner of slaves. And when I read this, I was in a class, a, a master of fine arts class with Dr. Catherine Bizard. And she posed the question of, if this were present day, who, what black people would own slaves because it was economically expedient. And literally, I believe, I can't remember the makeup of the class. I might have been one of two black students in the class, but I'm pretty sure almost everybody said Clarence Thomas. It was kind of surreal. So you're saying that Clarence Thomas would own slaves today? I'm saying if it were economically expedient and legal, yes, yes, he would. I, I, and I have no shame in that. Because that's what the Constitution originally yeah, that's states. what the Constitution originally states. If it's it's if it's on on written on, then it's legal. You know, that's his that's his attitude. Is the Constitution says it's okay, then you know, let's run with it. But then also another book plug. If you guys have ever heard of Derek Bell, he I'm pretty much obsessed with him. He writes Faces at the Bottom of the Well which is like a series of short stories that's turned into a long narrative. It's phenomenal if you've never read it. But he has this really, really poignant quote that as I was reading it, I knew he was writing about Clarence Thomas. It, he, it says, For white people who both deny racism and see a heavy dose of the Horatio Alger myth, so if you don't know what that is, that's the ragged dick myth from his book that basically is grab yourself up by the bootstraps, you can make a success story if you work hard enough. But anyway, so for white people who both deny racism and see a heavy dose of that Horatio Alger myth as the answers to blacks' problems, how sweet it must be when a black person stands in a public place and condemns as slothful and unambiguous ambitious those blacks who are not making it. Whites eagerly embrace black conservatives' homilies to self-help. However, grossly unrealistic such messages are in an economy where millions, white as well as black, are unemployed. And, and more important, and one where racial discrimination in the workplace is as vicious, if less obvious, than it was when employers posted signs that said, no Negras need apply. So, since you want to, like, bring up books that you read and things... That's all I do. You know, that's, like, that's my thing, I guess. I must compare Justice Thomas to a character from a book that I read as well. <laughs> it would probably have to be Ralph Ellison, The Invisible Man. Oh, I read that too! Of course you did. <laughs> and so, you know, when I first read the book, I said, oh, snap, like... Ellison has to be talking about Louis Armstrong. Right, right. Like, he has to. But Why? I mean, no one else had the influence during this era, during that era, to speak up and to say things as Louis Armstrong. Right, Satchmo. okay. But he chose to be invisible. You know, he chose to be, like, the proverbial... Race neutral. Yeah, race <laughs> neutral guy. Decades later, I think that Thomas is someone, you know, on the bench, he has an audience and he has an opportunity, you know, number one, if he said something from the bench, he pro he could possibly sway some other people right? with his, you know, even if it was anecdotal, mm -hmm. he could talk about the struggles of his grandfather and the struggles of being a poor black in Savannah, Georgia. But he chooses to be invisible and to be race neutral. Like um, actively, strongly race neutral. Yeah. He's invisible. I guess so. So, I think it's time for Bay of the Day. Well, yeah, I believe it's appropriate. So, Bay <laughs> of the Day. This is new, guys. This is new. It's where we acknowledge people that it can be in the real world or it can be fictionally. They kind of solving problems they're doing things so like Ernest team from underground would be my bay of the day from last week this is true 
This is true. Um, so, Danielle, I'm going to let you go first. Who's your bay of the day? So, my bay of the day is... Anita Hill. Anita Hill, as we spoke about earlier, she is an American attorney and academic. She is currently a university professor of socio social policy, law, and women's studies at Brandeis University. Um, she is the woman who, when Clarence Thomas was going up to be confirmed for, or he was attempting to be appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court, she came out with allegations against him of sexual harassment. She didn't come out voluntarily. She didn't. No, she did not come out. Well, she did, but then she didn't. Like, if you're confused about this, just go watch Confirmation on HBO. Steal someone's HBO Go account or purchase your own in case HBO Go wants to sponsor us. We can tell you to purchase it. But basically, she comes out, she comes forward, and she... Uh, basically has an affidavit. She says, this is what happened to me. These are the instances where Clarence Thomas, basically, I was made to feel uncomfortable in his presence because he was sexually harassing me. You have to understand what level of bravery to do. Like, this thrust her into the national spotlight like you don't even understand. Not only that, you have, on a national scale, a black woman accusing a black man of sexual harassment right as he is about to have one of the highest appointments in the nation. The, like, mental war that was placed on her shoulders, like the way that she was dragged through the mud, not only in the interviews, but on national television as people attempted to, to prop Clarence Thomas up. You have black politicians and uh, or just like black public saying that, you know, she's trying to take a brother down. Just, I have so much respect for her resolve, her bravery, her intellect. Just, I don't know, she's my bae of the day. Uh, I I can't I couldn't think of anybody else to to have that for right now. So, Danielle, you're gonna have to share Miss Hill. Oh, and, now and, we're and, sharing. And you know, I don't know if you all heard that Danielle said she couldn't think of anyone else. Miss Hill, it's a pleasure to have you as my day of the day. See, look at you, you're sizing. <laughs> no, no, I and I said that in a manner of I couldn't think. I, there's no one else. Don't. Don't try to make me look bad when I... That's my bae. You stealing bae right now. So you better fall back. So not only did she do all of the great things that Danielle mentioned, but Miss Anita Hill kind of changed workplace harassment. Oh, she and did. the protocol behind it. And so that's why I always find very, very interesting that people say, oh, she was lying, unsubstantiated, but like sexual harassment became a, a real thing in the workplace because right. of this. Well, like sexual harassment prevention became right. like a real thing that, you know, the videos, all the things that we see that you have to go through at work, it became, it became commonplace. And I think there are a lot of people who who owe a lot to Anita Hill's bravery, even though he was still placed on the the Supreme Court uh, bench. Should, like the world, especially the workplace world, is a better place because of Anita Hill. Aside from you know her academic en endeavors, and, and we thank you for that. So we're going to be a little bit better than last week's episode and throw at you guys an actual question uh, that we want to see solved. So we've we spent the episode talking about you know Clarence Thomas, Black Republicans, Black conservatives, Anita Hill, just. A whole myriad of things. So all host of things. And we want to kind of boil it down into a why even talk about this in the first place. So our question this week, as you've heard us like kind of ramble on about our opinions, is the state almost of the black Republican in American life. So there's recently been a, I guess, a pattern that's been seen in the GOP's party leadership. There's an article that was printed. I forget in what publication. I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. But basically, the black Republicans have said that the RNC or the Republican National Committee has given up on us. So recently, four high-level black st staffers have left the GOP party leadership. 
And the thing about it is it's not unusual for staffers to leave. I mean, it, no one expects them to work there for their entire life. But the, the thing about it is they were all four of those people were replaced by one person. And three of those four people were on basically the Republicans black outreach committee. They were in, in charge of reaching out to the black community, but they were replaced by one person. So where's the commitment to pulling over, you know, black people over to the conservative side? Where Where is the pushback for, hey, we want you guys in our circle. We have some values that you share that we could possibly share. Well, you know, Mitt Romney kind of let, let the cat out the bag. In late 2012, with the whole 47% comment, I think that Republicans honestly feel like they aren't going to get a lot of black people's vote, millennials vote anyway. So they just kind of writing them off and just want to rally their base. Which is problematic for the growth of the, I mean, we're coming into, you know, a black and brown majority in America. You, How long can, what what is the state of the black Republican? And even going past that and circling back to Clarence Thomas, with the Fisher decision coming in very, very soon. So the Fisher versus the University of Texas Austin, which at so, Austin decision. Which is the affirmative action. The most recent affirmative action kind of um, attempt to strike it from the books. Do you feel like, so even given what we know about how the Republican Party has not been committed to building a lasting relationship with the African-American community, the Republican Party very much so is against, the conservative values are against affirmative action. But even with those, like you don't have to have conservative views, is affirmative action still needed today? Send in voice memos. How has it impacted your life? Are you, as Clarence Thomas has said, like ashamed of the legacy of affirmative action? And do you feel stigmatized by it? I mean, I know how I feel about it. I'm pretty sure I know how Coop feels about it, although he does like to play devil's advocate quite a bit. But given conservative, the fact that majority conservatives are against affirmative, effect, affirmative action, given that we have this new case that's coming up we pretty we're pretty positive of how clarence thomas is going to vote for this case or for or against really he's going to vote you know are do you feel like affirmative action is needed has it impacted your life yeah and i think it's probably important that we at some point we really talk about the fisher case yeah we will and, and so maybe we'll wait until the after the verdict and so one interesting thing about that case and whatever that verdict will be um, Scalia's death will have a tremendous impact on. So if, Former if, Justice Scalia. So if Scalia had lived, I think affirmative action would definitely be struck down. Oh, absolutely. He was. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> he was definitely. Absolutely. He was definitely a originalist in the same type of way that Clarence Thomas is. And so. One of the most poignant ways, I mean, like I said before. And, and, I, and also, we have, to, we have to take into account that Kagan. Has right. to accuse herself. So one of the major liberal judges who President Obama has appointed must, you know, recuse herself because she was on one of the lower courts as this was making its way up to the Supreme Court or something of that nature. I think it's really important to understand that, as I said before, I do not wish for anyone's death. <laughs> but with the death of Scalia, the originalist, the conservative originalist that he was, affirmative action, like you said, would cease to exist. And I'm just going to kind of quote a tweet by one of my favorite professors from the College of William & Mary, Professor Charity Hudley, who is a powerhouse at William & Mary. She's the director of William & Mary Shore. She's a phenomenal linguist, education activist, super big into community service, the ultimate hustler. Follow her on Twitter at A Charity Hudley. I'll put it in the show notes. She said, sometimes when Scalia died, she said, she tweeted, sometimes your best resistance is to outlive them. And I think that's something incredibly poignant that we're just going to go ahead and leave you guys to, to mull over as we, as we peace out. Sometimes your best resistance is just to outlive them.